Hey, welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Um, just want to let you guys know about our new uh, Patreon page. If you've been enjoying the podcast and would like to support, you can go to patreon.com slash thephotobanter. If you sign up, you'll get access to the podcast two days early. Um, so if you've been enjoying it, would like to support, be much appreciated. It's patreon.com slash thephotobanter. And on today's podcast, I speak with photographer and director Angela Boatwright. Angela has worked with clients such as Van Shoes, Red Bull, Fender Guitars, and Golf Digest, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Angela about her early days of photography, growing up in Ohio, and her love of photographing music shows, which included photographing Kurt Cobain in 1991. I also speak to Angela about her experience working as a director of photography for Mass Appeal magazine, and also her approach to documentary filmmaking. I've been following Angela's work for years, so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with her. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Angela Boatwright, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you on. I've been following your work for years, so I was really excited to talk to you. Um, but I guess like I've been asking everybody, like, how's the last five, min- five months been for you? It's a crazy time to be alive. Um, have you still been taking pictures or like how, how's life been over there? Man, you know, it, it, you know, when it started, I think everybody was like gung ho, like, all right, we're going to figure out, thank you. We're going to figure out this pandemic thing. We're going to be productive and it's only going to be a few months. And like everybody kind of dug their heels in and it's just, you know, as the time has gone on, it's just become more cumulative, right? It's just super heavy, like a brick, like yeah. now with the upcoming election and all the political insanity, it's just like. So I don't know. I, I don't even know how to answer that question. We've been good. We're lucky, you know, we're okay financially. So mm-hmm. we're good. We're not great. We're not buying houses. No, no, no. But have you, <laughs> you still know? been inspired to like uh, shoot photos? Have you been doing any pictures or not so much? Or Well, that's like a long conversation because I haven't shot um, a grip of photos in quite some time, Got you know, like maybe a year or two. Um and this is, this is right on the back of me shooting photos every day for, I don't know, 25 years straight. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this kind of lull where I'm, I guess, taking a break, you know, just chilling out and, you know, especially off the heels of Los Punks where I was shooting, oh my God, like I shot all the, all the photos for my documentary. I shot them all on film. Yeah. Is, so, that, your, is that your email notification? Yeah. I don't know how to turn that off. Are you on Apple? Yeah. You want to help? You go, if you click on mail you can go yeah. so click on mail and then yeah. on the upper left hand corner you can turn it off so how do you do that so, so system the, preferences so no so you go see like on the bottom left hand side where it's it's like the mail icon it's a stamp yeah so click yeah. that click that then you go to mail in the upper left hand corner and yeah then, and then you just click quit mail Oh yeah, you just told me to quit mail. Okay, yeah. I yeah, just because then you won't get, keep getting the ping, ping, ping. Yeah, sorry about that. No, I'm you're like, good. I'm really technically proficient, and I'm not at the same no, time. Trust <laughs> me, I, I don't know half the things on these computers. Um, <laughs> but are you like you're saying you haven't shot a lot of a grip of photos in a while? Are you kind of the type of photographer that likes working like in the parameters of like a project? Because uh, like some people are like just bring their camera everywhere but it looks like a lot of your work is kind of project based like you said the Los Punks and different projects projects you've done is that kind of how you like working pretty much 
I guess. I mean, I'm not, I've never been one of those photographers that carries like a T4 in their, in their purse or like their pocket and goes and just shoots everything in their life. That That's never really been the case with me. So mm-hmm. I think I kind of rabbit hole into projects and yeah. Los Punks in particular is the deepest rabbit hole I've ever been in for five, six years. And that was really hard to come out of, frankly, you know, so I think I'm still dealing with like all the aftermath of, of just being gone mentally, spiritually, physically for six years, like pretty much in somebody else's life, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so I, I guess so. But, you know, we did, my boyfriend and I did attend some of the, the first protests in Los Angeles. The ones, you know, we, we were at the protests where the cop cars were getting, yep. um, you know, broken and fires were starting and tear gas was flying and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny because I actually recently dropped my 5D Mark III in a fountain <laughs> and re- wrecked it. Like what, like a $3,500 camera, like wrecked it literally. Like, oh, well, I think I saw that on your Instagram. You put it like in a Ziploc bag with rice trying to like dry it out or something. Yeah, and it's crazy. It brought it back to life for a month and then go figure it died at the pyramids in Mexico City. <laughs> so yeah. I got another month out of it from the rice, but then it was like fried. So when the protest started happening, I, I, uh, I brought out my contact 645 autofocus medium format film camera and that's what I shot all the protests with and I honestly haven't even scanned the pictures we have all the negatives but I haven't even scanned them like how I don't know to to some photographers that would be considered kind of pathetic (laughs) no no I think a lot of photographers just got I got rolls and rolls of film I've never even had developed yeah (laughs) it starts to like add up and then I'm like I'll get to it someday but it's like an emotional experience it's crazy it's like when you're shooting it you're putting your whole spirit into it and then you kind of get home and you're spiritually exhausted and then you can't even think about like I got to process this and scan it and you're like just fried right so like five years later you'll see some photos who knows right totally uh, but I guess to go back like where'd you grow up and how did you kind of get into photography initially I grew up in Columbus Ohio which is like basic average American city right um and I had like a dysfunctional family upbringing right to put it simply and I'm an only child and I felt pretty alone Okay. So music was my shit. That was my thing. I got really into heavy metal at like 10, 11 years old and was like, talk about rabbit holes, like <laughs> obsessed, obsessed. What, was, obsessed. what were some of your favorite bands early on? Oh, I was a hair metal fan. Okay. Like the slimiest hair metal bands you can think of. Like I loved LA Guns. Like you don't often hear about, you don't often hear people say like LA Guns changed my life. If it wasn't for hair metal, I wouldn't be here. But hey, you know, like. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm like a big believer in music saving people's lives. Like it could be anything. It could be the band Fish. I don't know. I'm sure Fish has saved people's lives, right? Like Definitely. I don't like them, but whatever. My bro- my brother's obsessed with Fish. Like I was, he, 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 <laughs> when he meets someone who also likes Fish, they they're down to like like literally last week he met some kid and he's like what do you think about fish in 2003 and people were like 2003 was an off year, but I liked like 98, so it's like pretty funny. Oh my. My gosh, see, so it could be like, okay, not my favorite, but yeah, Fish clearly saved, maybe he saved your brother's lives, I don't know, and his maybe. friend, but uh, anyway, yeah, so it, I was super into hair metal and thrash, I like thrash, and then punk, yeah. you know, was, came along as well, and hardcore, and all that good stuff, and then <clears throat> through that, I kind of found a friend group, you know, like, a, it was a small kind of, the scene in Columbus, Ohio was small, so you had ravers, hardcore kids, just general punks. And by punks, I mean miscreants, whatever. People that just didn't want to follow the rules. Yeah. Want to be gangsters, actual gangsters, like, you know, queer kids, kids that didn't fit in at high school, whatever. It was all the same. So I started photographing them. I would okay. bring like my camera around and just take pictures of my friends. Um, 
Yeah. And then my mom, my mom had been taking pictures. So she had this like makeshift dark room in her apartment. So I got to bring that, you know, process the negatives. And of course, this is, you're talking 1991. So this is way before digital. So process the negatives and I bring them back to my mom's dark room and I'd print the, print them on panel or paper, which was paper that you would print color negatives on black and white. Supposedly it gave it better contrast. It didn't, but <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. So how cool is it to have all these photos of your cool friends and then you get to print them in the dark room and like bring prints to your friends and all that kind of stuff. And thankfully I was like the only photographer in my friend group or the one that was the most obsessed. So it was my, it became kind of my identity, you know? That's awesome. So yeah, it just pretty, never stopped. That, that's pretty cool. Your mom like had, had a dark room even at her house. Like, so she, she was like pretty into it. It seems like if you had a dark room at home. Yeah, I mean, her, my, my parents got divorced and my mom, you know, my mom married my dad when she was 18. So she never really realized, never really learned how to have like a job and do finances and all that stuff. So she needed to figure out ways to have an income. And I was going to so many heavy metal shows. Like I was just obsessed with shows, even at a really young age. She would take me to the shows and she started meeting people. So she ended up starting to photograph the heavy metal bands because she was taking me to all the shows. And then she would get her pictures and like printed in like the local wow. heavy metal newspaper, like River City News, I think it was called, you know, right? <laughs> so she was photographing bands like Child's Play from Baltimore. Like if anyone out there has heard of these bands, please get in touch with me. You're gonna have yeah. like two people, but <laughs> super obscure hair metal bands. And she yeah. was getting all, she, my mom has pictures of like B.B. King and Lane Staley from Alice in Chains in 1991 and Iggy Pop in 91. Holy cow. So yeah, so she was getting all this stuff published and yeah, we kind of, I inspired her to photo, take photographs because I was always at the shows and then she inspired me to take photographs because she was, whatever, you get it. So That's it pretty cool. Of, so she was like pretty supportive of you kind of your creative endeavors then? Oh, she still is. Yeah, my mom is like cool. Yeah. <laughs> my mom is super down. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool because a lot. I mean, that's some some people struggle with. Like some people, you know, they got that pressure from their family or whatever. And they're like, oh, you, you got to do this and you can't pursue this. So it's really amazing. You kind of got the bond with your mom over photography. You know? Yeah, I mean, my parents were a, kind of a wreck when yeah. I was a teenager, and they left me alone, like utterly and completely. So by the time I was thirteen, fourteen, I was like, I don't give a fuck what they want. Me to do. <laughs> I really, I, I, I was so driven, you know, and my dad was MIA and my mom had moved briefly, you yeah. know, for a couple of years. And I was just like, I was like feral, <laughs> you know, I would go out, go see Death Angel play when I was 13, catch the bus down there in 1988 on the Frolic Through the Park tour for anybody that cares and yeah. go see Testament and Nuclear Salt and all these bands, you know, I just didn't. And then when I got my friend group, it turned into like the Ramones or Fugazi or GBH or Seven Seconds and mm -hmm. we'd go as like a crew, right? Yeah. So. I didn't really have a lot of supervision, you know, and my dad wanted me to stay in Ohio because the college would be cheaper. But outside of that, they never really had any, um, they just were, yeah, there was no real opinion about what I was going to do, you you're know? Just you're just living your own life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that one thing I was kind of interested in, obviously you grew up yourself as a youth that's going to these shows and stuff. And then you still photograph all these different uh, shows like the Los Punks kids uh, now. Like, is it still like the same energy? Like when you see these young kids now having these shows and stuff in their backyards or wherever, wherever it is, can you, is it still kind of the same energy when you look back when you're kind of their age, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's still the same energy, but growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and then photographing with like uh, 50 to 100 to two, maybe 200 max uh, punk kids, 
to photographing a backyard scene in Los Angeles that's got tens of thousands of kids on the periphery of it is different. And Columbus, Ohio is different than LA. LA has a whole other sociological makeup that makes the scene here incredibly special. I mean, for one, it's warm 12 months out of the year in LA. So you can have backyard shows 12 months out of the year, right? And two, there's a lot of cultural implications. You know, there's a Chicano culture, Latino culture, all of these things play into the backyard parties. You know, kids are having quinceaneras, you know, families quinceaneras and, you know, house parties at shows just with DJs and all that kind of stuff. So why not throw a punk show, right? So there's a lot of cultural implications in the scene in Los Angeles that weren't necessarily present in Ohio. Yeah. But yeah, still kids are kids are kids. They want to fuck around. They they want to have a place where they can go and talk to you know whoever they're interested in you know romantically, sexually. They want to get fucked up without you know nosy authorities. They just yeah. want to learn how to figure. They're figuring shit out. They want a place to belong, and that's never going to change. You know, mm-hmm. we've got to pro- those spaces have to exist for young people. And if they're if they're taken away, it's it would be really unfortunate and problematic. So as long as those spaces exist, they should be celebrated. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I grew up skateboarding my whole life, and there was always like different punk shows and stuff, and it always being like I live in Massachusetts, so they'd be like in different like weird like old like industrial buildings, and uh-huh. they, they'd last yeah. for like maybe a couple months of summer or something, and then it could shut down. And this people just figure out. How, a new way to like make it happen, you know, it's, it's kind of navigating that whole world, I guess. But yeah, it's so important not to forget what it's like to be like 16, 17 and walk into this completely illegal space. And there's like, I don't know, maybe fog or like re- a red light in the corner and you see like a cute girl or a cute guy. And like, and then, you know, you start gossiping with your friends about something, that kind of magical feeling you have when you're like at the spot, you don't want to be anywhere else, you know? Yeah. You look, it's you cool. look forward to it every week. I remember like, it was like this spot we used to go to, it was like a band would practice there and they'd have shows sometimes and there was like a skate ramp. And yeah. it was just every week, you knew like Friday, Saturday coming around, everyone's gonna meet up, drink like beers. And like you said, it's just like, it's just everyone kind of looks forward to, you know? Yeah, um, it's great. It's super cool. When you get older, there's, you have the responsibilities get in the way of that feeling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, when did you start thinking like you wanted to pursue this as like a career? Like, was it pretty uh, early, I guess? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was like out of the gate, man. I was like, I really was like, fuck everyone. I was at 14. I was like, fuck everybody. Like, I'm out of here. And like a lot of my friend group at the time, they were older. Right. So they're a couple years older and they were going to New York City to go see like uh, the Super Bowl of hardcore. Right. And they'd come back with all these stories of like being in New York and like 90, 91 and going to see Cro-Mags and stuff. And I was just like. Well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to make it, you know, like I literally, my career, the foundation of my career was spite, <laughs> you know, like I was like, going to show my parents, like, you don't know me, I can do this. I'm like, you know, fuck it. Like I was on fire and that fire burned until about if age 40. And then it was like, Oh, I need a break. <laughs> oh from, yeah. Cause you, know? you, you lived in New York city for like what, over 20 years, right? 19 years yeah and then i i had a really serendipitous opportunity out in la and i didn't expect to move here but i took it and then that led to los punks so basically once los punks started to wind down is when i was like um i need a minute (laughs) you know because that fire had been burning that whole time you know it's amazing how far spite can take you (laughs) (laughs) you know like yeah right the spite photographer yeah (laughs) Fuck you! Like and it caused an enormous amount of problems along the way. You have no idea because I'd just be like, 
even now I have really strong opinions about things like, Oh, they just, that person's like, Oh, what the fuck? How did that happen? You know, that's bullshit. Like to me, it's all about integrity and it's all about like, it's about culture and originality and you don't, you don't steal other people's shit and you Mm -hmm. acknowledge people and you know, you, it just all that stuff. There's a, I have a kind of a high moral ground for better or for worse. Yeah. I think that the thing I've always enjoyed about your work, like I said, I I grew up uh, skateboarding and some of the photos I kind of, I think I might've found your, uh, your, your link to your website back in the day through uh, you remember epically later, the website. I have a I have a tattoo. Can you see it, it says oh, totally fucking really? latered on it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw I think I saw because I used to go on that blog like when I was in high school and I watched uh, all Patrick's photos and then he had like a link to your website and stuff and I saw the cool photos you're doing of like uh, like the five borough guys in New York and it was just <laughs> it just kind of opened my eyes because like uh, you were like shooting skateboarding but not like so much the action it was just kind of the culture culture and people and things like that and uh i don't know i guess like when you got to new york like what what did you think you you wanted to do was it like magazine stuff off the get-go or like what, when you first got I, to new york i was really naive I, and and naive in a really kind of ballsy way like i i wanted to photograph madonna like when i was getting into photography i was really into herb ritz and and sante Durazio, who was shooting the victoria's secret catalogs at the time and vogue magazine and all this stuff that literally couldn't be further from who i am at this point in my life you know but i like sally mann and you know all marilyn mark and but i i was like i just wanted to shoot madonna i wanted to photograph the beastie boys all this kind of you know kind of cliche stuff in the early 90s um But, you know, I knew a lot of skateboarders in Ohio where I, a lot of our friend group was skateboarders. So when I went to New York, I met a lot of skateboarders straight off the bat. But, you know, I went to FIT. I went to Fashion Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of guys that would skate there because there are a lot of girls at the school, right? <laughs> so, you know, in fact, my first roommate when I was off campus was a skateboarder named Scott Schwartz. Okay. Um, who actually is a really, uh, I'm going to be bold and say world-renowned yoga instructor now. He's incredible. But um, he's from Queens and, you know, he's one of, you know, I I met a lot of the the skateboarders that were in kids and they weren't friendly right off the bat. New York wasn't like, it wasn't like you show up and you're cute and you, you know, start taking pictures and everybody wants you there. Not Yeah, that's one thing I was going to ask you because like as someone who skated my whole life, like, like, all the skate photographers that I know, they're like skateboarders themselves. Like if you look at anybody who worked at Thrasher yeah. or Trans World or whatever, Slap, and it's like a weird world. It's like, unless you're like in it, they're not very like, they're not just gonna let any photographer kind of fly in and this like kind of document. And I guess like, how do you kind of approach this, the documentation aspect of like skateboarding, I guess? You know, I've always done, I've always approached things kind of the same way. I just show up and start talking to people. And I remember some of the skateboarders being not so friendly right off the bat, but it didn't last. I mean, they weren't, I think it would have been different if I was a guy, they probably would have given me a little bit more lip service, you know, as a girl, they're like, well, she's harmless. Like how, how horrible can we be to her? Who cares? It just honestly didn't even pay attention to me after, you know, X amount of time, Um, which is one thing like as a woman, just being underestimated has allowed me to, to you know, do a lot of projects in my life because people just don't take you seriously. They don't, you know, like uh, I think a lot of the punks, I would tell them, Hey, this is going to be on Netflix. And they didn't, I don't think they believed me. Right. So when it came on Netflix, it was like a real shock, not, not to all of them, but maybe to some, but, um, you know, it's, it, it just over time, right. Everything is time. You have to prove yourself. You can't go in and, 
hey, and take photos and then misrepresent everybody and peace out. You know, you see that happening. Yeah. But it's time. Like, it's forever for me. Whoever I'm photographing is in my life forever, you know. And I still, I, Rodney Torres was one of the first skateboarders I met in New York. And yep. we're still friends to this day. I met Steve Rodriguez in 93 from Fibro, the owner of Fibro. And is he still involved with Fibro? I wasn't sure. Or is it? Yeah. I, I'm not 100% sure, but I talked to him recently and Mark Nardelli, who works at Fibro, I talked to recently and because, yeah. you know, thanks to the internet, people will like dig up old photos and they send them to you like, hey, I found these photos, you know, that you took yeah. forever ago. I whatever. love the, t the type 55 portraits you shot of the whole Fibro <laughs> team. Like you have a picture of Brandon Westgate, who's like one of the best skateboarders like in the world right now. And he's just like a little like Grom. He's, he's probably like 12 years, 13 year, years old or something. It was just amazing portraits on type 55 you did. And you got to understand, I don't skateboard, so I don't know who's going to be. I'm not like, well, that I know that guy's going to be good. And I'm not out there fishing for who's the next celebrity. Yeah. I'm in it for, you know, for real, like just shooting everybody around me. And then a lot of times the people I shoot just happen to, to kind of skyrocket in whatever mm -hmm. that could be in hip hop, skateboarding, whatever. But, you know, I'm just down to do whatever's in front of me at the time. Right. If it's like if it's like 2002, I think when I shot the Fibro type by five portraits yep. and this is who's writing for fibro we'll photograph everybody right mm -hmm. and then that brandon westgate photo people love it you know and because like you said he's like a really big deal these days yep. so and a lot of it's like it doesn't skateboarding to me is like it obviously yeah photographing all the legendary skateboarders is great but skateboarding is a lot bigger than that it's just like it's not about being like the best skateboarder. It's just all the, this like the crew you have, like some, some of the kids in the crew are like really good, but then there's other people that they're not as good, but they still just love it. And they're all part of that like world, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. everybody contributes just like with punk. If you just show up to a show, you're contributing too, right? Like the bands need fans, right? Exactly. You make a patch, you make a t-shirt, whatever, everybody contributes. So, but these, all, all of these worlds, like as I got older, I started to see the pattern. It's all like friend families, right? Replacement families, you know, mm -hmm. like if you had a fucked up upbringing, you maybe get into skateboarding. If you have a fucked up upbringing, maybe you get into punk rock, right? Like yeah. uh, my boyfriend and I have been watching that show on Netflix, Last Chance You, and it's all about, you know, um, Juco football, which is, you know, the junior college, community college football. And it's like a lot of those kids had fucked up upbringings. They got into football, right? Yeah. So I love those stories, you yeah. know, like, how do you, what do you, you pissed off, what do you do with it, right? Mm -hmm. So. No, it's, it's cool. And like, when you're in New York, you're starting out, like, uh, like, who are kind of some of the first clients you started working with? And like, how do you kind of get your foot in the door? Because I think that's a thing, like, maybe a lot of younger photographers listening or trying to just get their first assignment and kind of get out in the world. Like, what do you remember about like the early days? Like, who are you kind of working with early on? I have no idea how you would get your foot in the door now because yeah. back then there were an enormous amount of publications, yeah. um, magazines and whatnot. In fact, the very first photo I had published was at a, a heavy metal band named Prong published one of my photos I took in 1991 in their fanzine. Yeah. They would send out to their fan club. So I was shooting a lot of metal bands and punk bands in Ohio when I was 15, 16. I photographed Kurt Cobain when I was 16 years old yeah. at like a 150 capacity venue. And, you know, I sell those pictures now and they help pay for my school. And was, <laughs> that, was that when he was in Nirvana or was like something yeah. else? He was, yeah. It was uh, two weeks after Nevermind was released before it blew up. Like a month later, they were playing venues in Europe. Wow. So it was one of the last club, it was the last club tour they ever did. It was one of the last club shows. And, you know, he's super skinny and the whole nine, right? Like, 
was at a place called Stashes in Columbus, Ohio, that's gone now and the ceilings are all low. It's just the crazy, it's like a, you know, seeing it in your, you know, basement or something, seeing Nirvana in your basement. Yeah. So I had all the, I had all these photos before I went to New York. So when I went to New York, I just walked down to CBGB's, right? This is 1993. I knew about CBGB's, of course. And I just would walk down there and I would photograph all the hardcore matinee shows. Okay. Um, and one of the bands I photographed is uh, Yuppicide. And I photographed, uh, it was Wreckage Records. I think it was um, like an anniversary for Wreckage Records, which is the label that Yuppicide were on. And I photographed all the bands. Again, show up, photograph everybody, right? <laughs> and... Uh, Jesse from Yuppicide paid me $75 for one of the pictures to be used on their album. Wow. So that was my first job. And I, I was at the school at school at FIT, like printing the photograph, like in the dark room, right? Yeah, at school. Yeah. And all the teachers were like from a whole other generation. And they're like, this isn't photography. Like yeah. they shit all over it, right? Because it wasn't fashion. Yep. So I'm like, again, fuck you, like, fuck it, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> So I got $75. I remember the check. I was like, yeah, I was so stoked. I'm and on my way. Yeah, like, this is it. And then shortly thereafter, I got, uh, I was sending photographs to Thrasher. I, I don't remember how. I don't, I must have been sending them prints, right? What, so what kind send, of stuff were you sending them? Like, just photos of skaters or? Well, photograph of, photographs of bands and maybe, shit. At that time, I don't think I had a lot of you know, you need, a, you can't just photog show them photographs, photographs of skateboarders. You need like Kareem Campbell or somebody at the yeah, time that was huge, yeah. right? Unless like, they're sponsored, they ain't going to print it. Yeah. And, and uh, so I think it must have been bands. So they, um, they had me photograph Def Squad, okay. which is Redman, Keith Murray, Eric Sermon for Thrasher. So I went to Def Jam and photographed those guys on the roof in 1996. I believe was one of the earliest jobs I had. Yeah. Those photos are incredible because those guys are all legends, you know? They were kind of legends then too. So that was a big deal. Yep. And right around the same time, I was also working for a local hardcore publication called Antimatter. Anti um, Norm Brannon, an uh, incredible writer, uh, would interview, do really in-depth and heartfelt interviews with hardcore band members, um, which, wasn't, which was pretty atypical at the time. You know, most music stuff at the time was very whatever like so what's your favorite guitar player right but norm was doing these really heartfelt interviews and, and um everyone that took photos mo a lot of people that took photos for that were were men uh there were a few other women justine dimitrick comes to mind but for me that was a big deal i was shooting photos for antimatter and here and there he'd kick me 40 dollars for my pictures but that to me that was all respect that was like the biggest deal i got to photograph shutter to think and sunny day real estate and I got, you know, photo wow. Sunny right? Beat Real Estate, man. They're so under, they're amazing. I, I, I still listen to them, man. They're, they're so good. Yeah. Um, and when, you, when you're getting like hired by these people, like I saw the photo of Redman on your Instagram, you shot for Thrasher. At that point, had you been doing a lot of like formal portraiture stuff or cause like talking your early work seems that you're just kind of documenting the shows is kind of the, this, the people and stuff was like formal portrait, something you had done a lot of at that point. No, as a matter of fact, the, one of the very first portraits I took was of um, a local skateboarder, Giovanni Moya, uh, in New York. And I just, I, I said, I want to get into shooting portraits. And I, you know, I knew some of the local skateboarders. Hey, can I take pictures of you? And I photographed him on my roof and in my building. On, at, the, at that time, I was out of the dorms and I was living on 7th Street between Avenue C and D. This is 96, 96. Um, and I took those pictures and I really liked the way they came out. And, you know, I photographed Death Squad the next year. So I'd only been 
photographing portraits for a year or less mm -hmm. before that happened. So, and as a matter of fact, one of the pictures I took of Giovanni Moya ended up in Transworld skateboarding because he got like an AM spotlight and oh, uh, yeah. Giovanni Retta recommended me. He was like, okay. hey, Legendary. I know this cool girl that's got a, a portrait of him. You guys should run that. Like, yeah. So it was my, it was a, another early published image of mine. So, I mean, I was working for small publications, right? You're talking about like an independent album, uh, Antimatter, it's a zine. It was a zine. Thrasher, which was a big deal, you know, but still small. Yep. So there's not, this isn't like funding, you know, my retirement <laughs> by any means. But for me, it was all about, I, I knew I was aware this was a start and it was all about respect. Like to me, these publications were really important. You know, the hardcore zine, Thrasher, maybe more important than Vogue, right? So this was the culture. This is a, this is me. This is a contribution. This isn't just a check in my yeah. in my wallet, right? Yeah, and it's like the thing I, I I like about your work and other photographers I'm drawn to is it's like, I, I mean it's like documentary. It's real. It's not like you mentioned Vogue. Like I've never really been a fan of those magazines. I mean respect to them. Like I understand it's a different side of the craft where it's like these big productions with hair and makeup and all that yeah. stuff that goes into it. But like the documentary stuff to me. It, I just really respect the realness of it. Like, is that always kind of been what you've been drawn to this kind of documenting and telling stories pretty much? I, I don't think I realized it, but yeah, probably. I think I only realized that in my late thirties when I, when I was trying to shoot fashion and it wasn't really working out. And then I realized like, Hmm, you know, I'm in New York. There's probably a lot of other photographers significantly better at fashion than me, but what are my strengths? Well, I'm really good at documentary and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. so let's invest in that. And I think that, that's what led me to doing documentary films. Yeah. Um, Cause I realized like I was going on tour with metal bands at that time around 2010, just again, I just escaped. I needed a break and I just went on tour with metal bands for entire summers. Right. And I would just take pictures of, of them with film, of course, yeah. even though digital was a thing then. And um, I just look at the pictures and they kind of had a flow. Like you, you know, there'd be three or four photos of somebody like, plugging their guitar in or something like you go through Lightroom and you kind of hit the down arrow and you, they would move like a film. Yep. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do films, you know, like I want to get more into this. So, but yeah, I had to have like a heart to heart with myself and be like, you know, this isn't fashion, isn't your strength. This isn't. And it's like, I mean, are you at the end of the day, are you really even not interested in fashion? Cause that's like, it's like the weird thing when you get into like photography as a career, because on one hand you're an artist, you have your interests, but then on the other hand, you're like trying to pay bills. So it's like, the, yeah. I've gone to, it's like, should I do this so I can make money or should I just stick to what I actually care about? Like, it's like this weird dilemma of like art and commerce and like, uh, how do you kind of navigate that weird aspect of it? It's, it's hard. I mean, it's really fun using strobes and lights and setting up like really cool lighting and grids and soft boxes and all that. And like working yeah. with, you know, beautiful people and hair and makeup people who are incredible at their job. And yeah, okay. having a team like that, that's fun, right? Because you get to hang and yep. basically be artsy fartsy. But at the end of the day, like fashion, man, talk, you get really sick of all the appropriation. Like you start to see where everything's coming from. And you're like, that's bullshit, man. You took that from that. And you're not even crediting that whole scene or that whole culture. Like for me, it started to become like, where are things actually coming from? Who's creating all this stuff? You know, who, I want real deal shit, like real people, yeah. you know, like I don't want to just rehash just for the seasonal trend and toss it out when it's done. Right. Like, yeah, it, 
you know, it's again, artistically, it's really, it was really fun for me, but in my soul and my moral spirit, like it just, yeah. it just didn't jive, you know? Yeah. And the, but you've gone on to do some cool stuff, like advertisement stuff with vans where it's like these amazing campaigns where it's just like, it's like your personal work, but then they're using it like for, it just makes sense. It's just like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense what they're using. That stuff is so rare. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, you know, I listened to your, your podcast with Kwaku Alston, who's a contemporary photographer, um, who came up alongside me and we, you know, we knew each other in the nineties and all that kind of stuff. We'd shoot for some of the same clients. And he was talking about, um, you know, you do your personal, you do your commercial work and then you do your personal work and you want to show the clients their, your personal work. And generally your personal work is kind of what gets you hired to do commercial work, which is totally true. Um, and especially it was true at the time. I have no idea how it works right now, Yeah. but, um, to have it all come together like that, it's like lightning striking really. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, at this point in my life, those are just the projects I'm going for. I want to do the projects that I'm completely chiseled for, you know, like Los Punks was completely out of my gut and it came, it brought together so many different aspects of my life and experience in a really organic way. Um, and then after that, I, I did some work with Red Bull where I did documentaries on um, Mexican death metal band Disgorge and uh, Chicano uh, metal band from Boyle Heights, Miklan Tecutli, was able to put together some cool projects for Red Bull. And I got to go to Mexico and do uh, film that. And then I wrote something for Red Bulletin magazine all about <clears throat> one of the first black metal bands in Mexico, Chibalba Itzajes, and then also about Miklan Tecutli, a black metal band here in Boyle Heights. And yeah. we got to bring Arturo, the singer from Miklan Tecutli, down to Mexico City to meet all the guys from Chibalba Itzajes and put together a really kind of beautiful story that I actually wrote it too. Wow. So those are the projects I'm, I'm looking to do these days. Things that are significantly more dynamic that ideally I can write or direct or, you know, a little bit more than just take pictures of and things that are really kind of embedded in my wheelhouse. So yeah, I, those are fun, man. Those are like, yeah, they yeah. a lot of work and it's really fun. <laughs> I, I know. That's what I was going to ask you is like, like, did it take you a while to kind of, like figure out how you were going to approach filmmaking because it's so much different than still photography. I think a lot of people think like, Oh yeah, it's cameras and lenses or whatever. But for me, like I've, I've worked on a lot of projects as like whatever from PA to helping with grip and stuff like that. And I just realized like the workflows is completely different. Um, like how did you kind of first get into filmmaking, I guess. And was it kind of challenging to at first, I, I suppose. Same thing with photography. I was like, fuck it. You know, I really didn't care. Like, um, it is different because you have to tell a story. Like as a photographer, you're used to telling a story in one picture, but I don't even know if every photographer is conscious of the fact that they're telling stories. You go out there and you're like, damn, this is cool. Right. That's kind of what you say in your head, but you are telling stories. Um, with a documentary, you've got to tell stories in a hour and a half and you know, or maybe 20 minutes or a much longer period of time. And it's like, well, what are the important elements of the story, right? It's a lot more to piece together. But um, at the time when I started documentaries, I was working in an office space with a lot of producers and, you know, people that were embedded in motion, so to speak. Um, Derek Beckles, who is uh, one of the writers on the Eric Andre show, we shared an office and he was, he does TV carnage and all hot package and all sorts of other hysterical shows. He was there and, and um, you know, some other producers and filmmakers. So I had a lot of kind of motion people around me. And like, like anything, I was like, I can do this. And, you know, as naive as could be, right? So I was uh, shooting campaigns for Roxy at oh, the yeah. time. 
and I was making pretty good money, probably the most money I had made ever in photography. And I was like, well, I'm going to go on tour with heavy metal bands and I'm going to film it and I'm going to make a movie. So for four years, I went to like six or seven different countries with a variety of heavy metal bands filming them. I paid for all of it. It cost me $90,000 of my own money. (laughs) Yeah, it's still not out yet. P.S. I have an insane amount of hard drives of all this footage and it hasn't even been put together yet. It it was the catalyst for Los Punks, but um, that's what I did. So I just dove into it and I was literally on the road with, I I went in the van with the guys on the planes. I slept, if they slept on the floor of somebody's garage, that's where I slept. If they slept in a truck, that's where I slept. And I did everything I did. I made sure the batteries were plugged in, did the sound, did the camera operating, of course, all the production. Yeah. So throughout that, I kind of discovered I really love production. Like I'm, I like spreadsheets. I like numbers. I'm not bad at math. Um, I would love to produce somebody else's feature and not have any any creative input whatsoever. I, interesting. I like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I like all the numbers. I like, um, I'm good at budgeting, um, stretching a dollar, all that. I love keeping track of, you know, uh, camera operators and who signed the work for hires. And I, I like all that stuff. Yeah. So that helps. <laughs> But yeah, now nowadays I love I like much bigger projects. They're they're more challenging for me. You know, going out and taking a picture is fine, but you know, I'd like to hire camera operators, sound sound operators. I'd like to like figure out how to structure this shot or how to complete this narrative thread, you know, like I like I like the challenge of it, but it is way more complicated. Cuz like yeah. how did you mentioned in a bunch of Los Punks, like how did that project come about? Was that like a, a personal thing you kind of started yourself or like how did that all come together? So after I went on tour with all the metal bands, um, I was just never at home in New York and I'm paying all this rent. Right. And it's just, you know, I had quit drinking. I was just, you know, I came home to New York and I would just sit in my office and edit until two in the morning. My friend group was dwindling. It just seemed like time for a change. So a uh, photographer friend of mine, Scott Pommier, he put an ad up and basically he needed a subletter at his place in Silver Lake. So I'm, I thought I'd move there for four months and take a breather. Um, while I was out there, I got audited by the IRS. <laughs> Yikes, that's scary. That's like the worst. That's my worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I always tell everybody, like, in, don't wor- if you get a letter from the IRS, don't worry unless the return address is handwritten. Because when I got audited, the return address was from the Internal Revenue Service, but it was written by hand. And that's bad, right? Like, yeah. it was like, shit, like I'm going down. <laughs> so long story short, I I had run out of money. I'd spent all my money on this metal dock. And then the IRS took another 10000 from me. So straight off the top. Because once you're in, there in your life, you're like, oh, I wanted them out. Yeah. So I had, I didn't have a lot of money. So I asked, um, I was shooting photos for Vans uh, with the art director, Renee Perdomo, and I asked her to introduce me to their video team, um, and she did. So I met with Steve Zaitsoff, who's actually currently at Fender, and Jared Abe, who I believe is still at Vans, and they were like, oh man, our VP, Doug Palladini, he's doing this documentary campaign, and I think you'd be perfect for it. I showed them my metal footage. I had a teaser, right, for my metal footage. So they really liked it, and they introduced me to... Doug is the current president of Vans, but at the time he was the vice president. So it was this like 
insanely serendipitous moment. He, Doug happened to be in the office. He happened to have time, a VP of Vans, right? He happened to have time to see me right then. I showed him my teaser and he was like, oh, well, we have this documentary campaign. I'd like you to be one of the directors. Wow. Like, well, shit. Like, when do you ever walk into a meeting and then get like this gigantic job, like straight off the bat, you know? Never. <laughs> so Never. It's once in a lifetime. So it, it's like opportunity meeting preparation, as they say, right? Yeah. So he's like, let me know if you have any ideas. So at first I had met a bunch of um, heavy metal kids in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was on tour with Toxic Holocaust. And they call themselves the Albuquerque Thrashers. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, 50% of my documentary project on the Albuquerque Thrashers. And then let's try to find something going on with punk in LA and we'll compare and contrast and have a fun kind of Albu thing. Albuquerque is such an interesting town. I've been there once. It's so like photographically, it, it, it's amazing. There's just so much character and like, it's like life there. It's like nothing, no other city I've been to. Yeah. I didn't get to explore. Cause when you're on the tour, when you're on tour with bands, they never leave the venue yeah. ever rarely um and there was no day off there but it's cool because the, the culture kind of comes to you the scene comes to you in, in some <laughs> respect but i was just watching all of the the kids at the show like oh man they have this whole thing going on right like mm -hmm. and it was the drummer it was nick's um nikki's birthday that day the drummer for toxic holocaust and the albuquerque thrashers had created this big old card and all of them had signed it it was like 60 people you know wow. and it's like happy birthday from the Albuquerque Thrashers. I was like, man, this is fucking cool. <laughs> so I was going to kind of document them and I'd already had contact with them. And then I thought, well, let's look and see what's going on in, with punk in LA. Of course, LA has a huge punk history, but like what's going on now? So at the time, um, you know, a lot of things happened uh, kind of simultaneously. Um, my friend Ron Martinez is in a band called Lower Class Brats and he invited me to go see them play in Reseda, which is in the Valley. And just all these kids were there and I was like, holy shit, something's happening. So I did some digging and basically presented the idea to Doug and said, I want to do Albuquerque Thrashers and LA Punks. There's this cool backyard punk scene in LA. And he's like, cool, love it, down, do whatever, do whatever you want, you know? Wow. And to Vance's credit, they never told me like, you know, X, Y, or Z. They just said, go forth. And so of course, production wise, we thought, let's start in LA, let's film the punks. And then once I started filming the punk shows, I was like, this is, this scene's a really big deal. And I asked Doug, I said, can we just focus on this one scene? And he said, absolutely. So I just stayed within the LA punk scene. So we did um, four or five webisodes and it was for advertising. So all everybody that, can, that participated got paid for that. Um, and we did you know, four or five episodes called Eastlos, which is about the East LA scene. And that was the predecessor for the doc, the full length documentary, Los Punks. Yeah. So, long, so the, that wasn't so, too long of a story. So the people got paid for it, but in terms of like how you approach it, it's still like documentary, like you weren't like coaching them on like what to say at all, really. It was, no, 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 no. I mean, it's, it's pretty, I don't know if anybody, it's hard to coach punks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, see in, in Los Punks, it's tricky because when you do an actual documentary film, you can't pay people because yep. it's considered that you're paying them to, to um, say what you want. But, you know, with the project that, that came before Los Punks, like I thought that it would be insanely fucked up to go into a community that I'm not from and have it be advertising. This is advertising. This is selling shoes and not compensate everybody that was involved. I mean, yeah. that to me would... Yeah, it was it was in the advertising sphere. It wasn't in, but it, yes, it was a documentary project. But yeah. no, there was no coaxing. Um, 
people got shoes, lots of right. shoes. And then there, you know, people got paid depending on, you know, what they were able to, how they were able to help out the project. No, it's interesting. And like, when you're making these films, are you shooting stills usually at the same time? Or do you kind of, this, it's two different things for you pretty much? Um, yeah, shooting stills at the same time. It's really, it can get crazy because I'll hire, I like to hire camera operators. I personally don't love to camera operate. Um, my vision isn't great these days, but, uh, you know, I hire camera operators and there'd be times I was shooting photos and that I'd be like elbow and elbow with the camera operator or, or sometimes <laughs> you can see my my pictures in the footage and see, you know, vice versa. Um, and then there were obviously times in Los Punks where it's like, I would just go out to shows continuously and you know, we, we didn't have an unlimited budget, so we couldn't always have a camera operator come with me. So whenever I would go to shows, I would bring my photo camera, my Nikon FE2, and then I would bring my um, Sony A7S. So if something happened, I would just pull out the Sony A7S, put a boom mic on it and film. And there are entire scenes in Los Punks that I filmed by myself entirely. Things I went to shows to take pictures and something happened and I just took out the, you know, the video camera, so to speak. So yeah. it's, it's hard. It's like shifting different parts of your brain though. Yeah. It's, really, it's really tiring because a photo brain and video brain, if that's the term video, right? Are, they aren't the same brain. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And uh, to go back a little bit, I know you, at one point you worked at Mass Appeal, uh, a really amazing magazine. And I think you were like the director of photography at one point. I was kind of curious talking to you a little bit about that, like how it kind of came about and like, what do you remember about working there? Because they had some amazing photography in that magazine. So that was, I started shooting photos for Mass Appeal in like 1997, yep. you know, um, and they didn't have a photo editor or anything. And, you know, I loved Adrian and Patrick who founded the magazine. And one day, you know, I'm, I'm always enterprising, trying to figure out new opportunities for myself, right? Because it can't all be about photo job, photo job, you know, sometimes whatever, you got to make it the other way. So I talked to Adrian and said, Hey, I'd love to be your photo editor. And Adrian's just a super supportive person. And he was like, yeah, I'm down. And you know, we figured out a small fee and then it just grew. And I worked there for a handful of years and I loved it. I was probably too enthusiastic <laughs> about that job, but I love photo editing. Like, you know, I would talk to other photographers and they're like, how are you not just shooting everything? And it's like, I actually like calling photographers and saying, Hey, I have a gig for you. And it's, yeah, you know, who are some who are some of your favorite photographers you got to collaborate with at that magazine? Because there's like some great photographers who shot for it. Well, one thing that comes to mind is um, we had an opportunity to photograph the Beastie Boys for the cover mm -hmm. of Mass Appeal, and I thought, well, this is great. Like Beastie Boys came out of kind of a skateboarding scene, punk rock scene. So I got to hire super legendary skate photographer Brian Gaberman to take. Oh yeah, that dude's the best. I've had him on before. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a scientist, right? And I was so hyped on his work and he shoots like four by five, right? So Brian so Brian was down and I think, God, we must have flown him to New York. I, you know, so Mass Appeal never had huge budgets, right? But we must have, because he's from San Francisco. I don't remember. Maybe if yep. he's listening, he can fill me in. But <laughs> he came out and, you know, I remember I was just on one that day because we were shooting the Beastie Boys, you know, downtown New York and he's shooting with four by five film, which is like kind of tedious, you know, yep. he's good at it. He does it fast, but it's still tedious. And like, there are all these people running off the street trying to come up and say things. And I'm like, go, no, 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 no. <laughs> and to this day, I'm like, man, everybody thought it must have thought I was insane, but photographer, like, let's, you know, let's gotta make it happen. Yeah. yeah. 
So that that's just one thing that sticks out to me. Yeah. Um, Akira Ruiz, I've hired to photograph Ron Artest. Okay. Basketball player for oh, the yeah. cover. And it turned out they had gone to high school together or something. So there were a lot of like things like that. that I was like, oh, damn, that's super awesome. Um, 50 Cent, we had a Prescott McDonald photograph, 50 Cent. Prescott has passed away since. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's a good, I'll mention that next. Um, but, you know, Prescott is another genius four by five photographer shooting type 55 of literally shooting the inside of 50 Cent's mouth, showing all the wounds in his teeth and gums with a four by five camera. Jesus. And that's a whole story. 50 Cent had a, a fever that day. He wasn't feeling very well. Very nice guy. And I think I might have hired Estevan Oriol to do his very first photo shoot with strobes. Oh, that dude's my, I've had him on. That dude's like legit my favorite photographer all the time. That dude's yeah. the man. He's like my bud. And since we've moved to, since I moved to LA, like my boyfriend and I hang out with him here and there, like not so much since the pandemic, but Esteban and I just did like a cool, um, I made all these cool postcard sets, right? Like, so Esteban and I went to Cuba three times together. And yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. It seemed like yeah. an amazing trip. You guys shot the roots. Yeah. We went with the roots one. I mean, how crazy. I just remember at the time being like, yeah, I'm going to Havana with the roots and not thinking too much of it. Cause I was shooting so much. Like it was just a lot of stuff was happening at that time. And now in hindsight, I'm like, that's a fucking huge deal. Was that, was that for mass appeal or that was just something you guys were doing on your own? Esteban and I were hired to photograph a book about Cuban hip hop by, um, uh, a woman named Haretzi. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's a very long story. The book was never released. It's a really long story. It's, 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 uh, you know, not a super negative, big, bad, crazy thing that happened. It's just a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, you know, the publication, I believe the book company went out of business. I think that was part of it. But so we went three times to, to document for a book for a book yeah. project. And again, it's never been released. So I thought, well, let's do a postcard set and we'll make all these postcards and we'll sell them, you know? Um, but so if anybody is interested, I do have a big cartel store. That's, so that's, please that's, go for that's pretty cool. You guys went down and collaborated together. Like you don't really rarely ever see like photographers collaborate on projects. It's usually just a solitary kind of medium. Like what do you kind of remember about working with him on that? Would you guys kind of just like basically yeah. do your thing pretty much? Like, yeah, he's chill, man. Like, I, I still hang out with him. It's great. Like, I love Esteban. Like, I, yeah. I mean, so I met him. I, I think I met him by hiring him to shoot. It was Eminem and Rakim for the cover of Mass Appeal. And again, I don't think he'd ever use strobes. And we, the the publisher, Adrian, had this idea for the photo. He wanted, like, Eminem and Rakim photographed in front of this, like, palm tree mural. So we, like, FedExed Esteban this massive palm tree cardboard thing. Like, just ridiculous. And Esteban's like, okay, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know, I'd have to ask him, but I, I remember him being on the phone like, oh, I don't, usually don't use strobe. And I'm like, oh, you can do it, whatever. Yeah. And it turned out amazing. It's like a great photo, but <clears throat> yeah. And then we got, we had known each other fairly well before we were hired. So I think it just was like, yeah, cool, Esteban. Like it's, we're super down and he's chill. I don't, <laughs> you know, it's, I got a really bad sunburn when we were down there, like so bad I couldn't work for three days. And he's like, oh, don't worry, Ange, I got you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but we would kind of split up the shoots. Sometimes we'd be together and go out. There's so many people that need to be photographed. And it's great because we have a similar visual approach. Yeah. But, you know, to have female energy and male energy, you know, you kind of get, you know, and we made an agreement too. Like he shot all black and white and cross-processed uh, slide film. And I shot all color film and a little bit of black and white. So we yeah. kind of had this agreement on how to split everything visually. Um. God, it was a long time ago, but yeah, we we've hung out a little bit since I've moved to LA, and it's been any any talks or trying to like put that book together again. You think or no? I mean, that's why that's why I wanted to do the postcard set. I was like, and this is all pre-pandemic, right? The yep. postcard came out like the day COVID hit, and it's like okay. the sales have been lackluster because you know, like how 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 much can you post on social media? Like, hey, I have this thing for sale, and everybody's like, well, shit, I don't have a job, so you know, you oh, don't do you have it? Is it for sale? Like on your website? It's on, yeah, if you go to my website and click store, I have a big cartel and okay. you can put it there. Oh, I'll link it. People go check it out. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah, please do. And and um, yeah, it was it was pricey to make. They're beautiful. They're like super gorgeous. Where are they? Can you go grab one? They're super <laughs> gorgeous. And um, you know, spare no expense with having them made. But nonetheless, like I was talking to Esteban, like we got to do a show of this Cuban imagery or something. And I was like, well, let's do the postcard set and let's get that out there and then that'll be like a catalyst maybe for some other things but yeah so can you see it's like oh yeah cool. yeah oh damn so it comes in like a little box yeah it's a hand it's like a hand uh die cut case and then you have like you know this is one of esteban's photos right wow yeah they're beautiful they're like really oh this is esteban's photo damn. they're really good stock let me see oh here's one of my pictures just to be fair to myself <laughs> so That's awesome yeah, and here's another picture I took as well. This is outside the Roots show. These are some fans wow. that were waiting to see the Roots. So, I mean, the lighting in Cuba is amazing. And of course, look at how beautiful all these women are. I mean, gorgeous, right? Yeah, Cuba, so, Cuba is amazing. I was just there in March right before the pandemic and this like the colors and the textures and the people. It's like yeah, photographer's dream, you know? Yeah, I saw you were photographing skateboarders down there. That's a huge. There's a huge skate scene down there too. Yeah, this buddy of mine runs this skate program called Cuba Skate, which basically kind of helps get them like skate products because obviously they can't get boards and wheels and everything down there. So like different skaters go down there. A lot of pro skaters have been going down there the last few years. Like um, I think Arto Sari went down there with like Reynolds and stuff. So the, the scene's been growing and stuff. So it's really kind of cool to see all the skaters down there. That's cool. You know, Arto went down to take pictures. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a badass photographer, man. It's amazing skater, but a great photographer too. Yeah, I've met him once. He's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like looking at your work, you ended up going on to shoot a ton of like hip hop stuff. I know you shot for like Double XL. Yeah. Um, you know, one shoot I was excited to talk to you about. Uh, you photographed Guru from Gangstar. I uh, wasn't sure what that was for, but I guess like were you kind of hip hop? fan at all before like how do you kind of get into that whole world because it seems like you shot quite a bit of, but yeah I mean obviously you know you grew I grew up in the late 80s so you know groups like Public Enemy and NWA and uh, you know they Cypress Hill you know had a huge effect on me just as a teenager you know um I had lots of different types of friends with lots of different types of interests because like I said we were all it was a small scene you know yeah. so I, I'm grateful for that in my upbringing um and when I moved to New York <clears throat> You know, hip hop was really alive. I did. I don't think I realized it at the time because it seemed like life, right? Like, fuck yeah, hip hop. This is incredible music, incredible culture. It felt really organic to me, and I've always said this because I've never really been interested in indie rock. It's not my thing, and you'll see I don't have a lot of photos of indie bands. Like the whole 
I forget what it's called. What's the scene that came in the early 2000s? It was all the oh, like, electro clash. Okay, yeah, yeah. Went right over my head, right? Like <laughs> I was there, but I was like doing something else, right? So never really been a fan of that. Hip hop, you know, I grew up on heavy metal and rock and roll and hip hop artists are rock stars straight up. Like they just are, right? And obviously having a love for the music. And the city of New York just permeated. I don't even know how to describe it, but I, you just walk around, there's so much graffiti everywhere and I love graffiti, right? I love it, love it, love it. And there's so much, it's just a really incredibly artistic city. And as being like a very new person to New York, right, a newcomer, I would just see, you know, you'd, you'd walk down the street and you'd see like a side of a building would be painted bright pink and then two buildings down would be bright blue and then red. And it's like, why do you need to rent a studio, right? Like <laughs> got all these backgrounds in the environment, you know? And I think that that kind of approach really suited um, hip hop at the time. This is before it was like uh, flashy and shiny and all the hip hop artists were still kind of, they wanted to be photographed, you know, in the neighborhoods that they grew up in and all that kind of stuff. So um, it just really it was a really good marriage, um, you know, that, that vision and then hip hop and obviously the love for the music and it just all came together. And it also felt really alive. All of the, those artists felt like they were growing and moving and it felt relevant and important. Right. And it, you know, if it, it was a message, it hip hop saves lives, like heavy metal say my hip hop saves, have saved tons of lives, you know, yeah. Hip hop came from the streets. It came from New York. It came from, you know, um, kids trying to make something out of nothing, right? And that's important. And I felt that, and that resonated with me, and still resonates with me. Um, so I started shooting a lot of hip hop artists. I really loved it. And so then the internet came out, right? Like, and you had all these websites, right? And they were getting tons of investment, like. Uh, tons of investment money because this is the future. Yep. So they had all this money and they would hire photographers like me to photograph their campaigns, right? So you had a website called platform.net, which was a hip hop website. And I photographed, that's what I photographed Guru for. Was oh, okay. The campaign. Um, you had 360hiphop.com and I did a lot of work for them. Now these sites didn't last long. They ended up going belly up because they couldn't monetize what they have. They didn't know how to monetize it yet. Like an online store was kind of not a thing at the time, I don't think. So. Cause was this like when like Napster was still around kind of going around that kind of era pretty much like. A little earlier. earlier or, or, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Napster wasn't in my, on my radar, but um, yeah, it was that weird hodgepodge in between stage of analog and digital uh, that I was got to grow up in, which was a, shit show like mm -hmm. every kind of hard drive you know that came from the start to the beginning i i own right so zip drives side quests like whatever garbage it's all garbage now yeah but um yeah total total nightmare but yeah so we photographed guru for platform.net and he was fucking cool like that's man okay so at the time i was doing like Sometimes you get these assignments and you're like, this is the shit. This is what I'll do this forever. Right. Yeah. So at the time I was shooting an assignment for XXL photographing hip hop artists and their children. Okay. And I was just all like, loved it. Like, Oh yeah. I, you shot like Beanie Siegel, I think. Right. Yeah. With his, yeah. yeah. And his son, we co correspond on Instagram now. Like you can find all these, these kids are adults now. That's, that's awesome. And Ja Rule and his beautiful daughter, Brittany and like, Oh my God. Like I was obsessed with this assignment. I'd only done three or four, you know, yeah. um, artists, but 
So when I photographed Guru for XXL, I was telling him all about this. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. When I photographed Guru for Platform.net, I was telling him all about like, hey, I'm shooting all these portraits of, of rappers with their kids for a double XL. And he's like, Oh my God, I want to be photographed with my child, my children. I, I honestly don't know where mm -hmm. he was at with the child count, child count at the time. Yeah. But he wanted to be one of the artists featured with his children. And I went back and I told XXL like, Hey, I photographed guru. He wants to be involved in it for whatever reason. I don't think it ever happened. Um, but he was cool, man. Hanging out with him was like photographing him was like just hanging out with like just talking to anybody, you know, like talking to a stranger at the bodega or just, you know, whatever. He was real cool. Real. Yeah. He seemed really real to me. Like that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to ask you with like being a portrait, you do portraiture. Like how do you approach situations that like either like, maybe the situation is difficult because you don't have a lot of time or the location's tough or, you know, like sometimes people just don't like having their picture taken like, how do you kind of navigate those, like, tough shoots, I guess? I mean, you just row through, like, you know, sometimes with one oar. But <laughs> I think always falling back on being real, right? Yeah. Like, you just have to, you just have to be yourself. I mean, you know how many times people are photographed, you know? Like, I, I got an assignment to photograph Depeche Mode for Nylon. Mm -hmm. And, like, I love Depeche Mode, right? Like, everyone, we all love Depeche Mode, right? So I'm like, shit, this, they're huge, huge, huge musicians, right? And I'm thinking, like, this is probably 2008. So it's like, how many times have these guys been photographed? Like, yes. what in the hell? And I get 10 minutes with them, right? Yep. What can I do that is going to, what, what? I mean, really, going to be different at all? So I, you know, I got my 10 minutes. We were in the hotel room. And I said, okay, I know you guys have been photographed a million times. So I'm going to try to make this a, at least kind of interesting for you. So I want to know, like, okay, who here hates mayonnaise? Who? I know. <laughs> That's what you asked them? Yeah. And I, I think Dave Gahan was like, oh, I hate mayonnaise, you know, like, or maybe he said he loved it. Shit, I can't remember, but like, just be real, you know, like, I remember photographing Buckshot once for Echo Unlimited, and I was just like, you know what, you always have something in common with someone, right? Yeah. And we ended up talking about being a picky eater. He's a picky eater, I'm a picky eater, so whatever. So, so do you kind of just ask that question just to kind of break up this, the monotony pretty much, or like, what is it, like, what? why ask them that well you know you want to you want to let them know that you they're you can you see them as people they're not a paycheck to me, yeah, right? yeah yeah hey you're a human being like you and i can get along i mean i still do that kind of stuff like my boyfriend and i'll go out to eat or whatever you can do now in pandemic times and i end up chatting with people forever right for yeah. hours like there's a um, 70 year old woman in the complex where we live that, you know, I was talking to for almost two hours outside, you know, the other night, just, you have something in common with everyone, right? Definitely. Like, so just actually honest to God, being curious about people, like you really want to know, like, okay, on the surface, like, what could I possibly have in common with Buckshot? Well, you'd be surprised, right? Like, mm -hmm. we both are picky eaters. So you, you gotta finding that to me is like not only makes a photo shoot easier but is also like eternally fascinating you get to know about the human condition you know and it, it doesn't surprise me that I got into doing documentaries because as time went on I was like well I want to know more about I want to know more about you than whether or not you like mayonnaise like what was your childhood like like yeah. you know tell me about your dreams so I got more curious <laughs> and have you always just kind of had that confidence in like approaching people and trying to like this like because obviously you're telling these stories and in, in different neighborhoods or wherever you are in the world like have you always just been kind of like fearless and approaching people or is something you think the longer you've kind of been a photographer you kind of grow at it or no i've been i'm pretty fearless when it comes to i know you're like, hold on, you're like fuck it <laughs> yeah, no, I, 
I'm, and it all comes from being naturally curious. I'm honestly curious about people. I have definitely talked to some interesting people in my day at length, you know, like I met a whole lot of interesting people working on Los Punks and, you know, I even had, you know, frankly, I even had conversations with police officers in East LA for hours, you know, I, I'm not going to clog up the, uh, the, you know, podcasts with any of those stories, but, you know, I'm, it's just comes from that natural curiosity, but I will absolutely march up to the scariest looking dude in the room and ask the most ridiculous questions. But, you know, being a woman, I think that that is a big part of my ability to do that, you know, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm harmless, you know, by definition. So um, I think men kind of vibe each other sometimes. Right. I wouldn't know I'm not a man, but I'm, I've seen that what I feel like that, you know, that happening, what I feel like that is. So, um, you know, in particular, like with people, and there's also like people that look scary and however that may be, you know that there's humanity underneath all those layers. So if you acknowledge people that are trying to be like, to, to scare you and acknowledge them as human beings, it, it tends to, there tends to be a good response because I think all people appreciated being acknowledged and being treated, you know, fairly or being treated like everybody appreciates someone being curious about them. Well, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. It's just like how you approach it and whatnot for sure. And uh, I was really excited when you sent me over your CV, which is like hats off. That was a dope CV you put together. Uh, um, You say you're working on a project about the juggalos. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who the Juggalos are, maybe you could talk a little bit about it and like how, how do you kind of start working on that project? Because it, it, that's an interesting sector of people right there. Yeah, Juggalos are, this is a project that's years in the making, you know, like honestly, I think if I'd been a little bit younger, I probably would have been a Juggalo coming from Ohio and, you know, doing what I was doing. So it, it seems like kind of close to my heart, but, um, <clears throat> you know, the pandemic has obviously kind of put a, a little bit of a brick in the our progress, but, you know, again, it goes back to music saving people's lives, you know, so Insane Clown Posse more than anyone has probably saved lives, you know, like, and, and, you know, when we first started the project, Juggalos were kind of like being heavily made fun of. It's not so much the case anymore. And I wanted to kind of get underneath that, those layers and see what those stories are about. And, you know, you find a lot of people that I don't know where they would be without Insane Clown Posse. And not only that, but you learn a lot about how hard Insane Clown Posse worked to get to where they are today. Oh yeah, hats off to them, because I've like watched a ton of interviews with the guys and mad respect because they own all their shit. They oh yeah. All, they don't, no label, they do all their own merch. They, they fucking hustle. They have their whole like the gathering of the jugglos, which is like, I don't know if it goes on for a weekend or a week or whatever it is, but it's like, yeah, they're, they're like a machine they lose money on those gatherings. Like they pay for all that stuff. And sometimes they lose money. People don't realize like they, they pay for the Fago. Yeah. They don't, they go doesn't spawn. Fago wants nothing to do with them so far as I know. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of integrity there. And for someone like, you know, I love integrity, right? Like that's my shit. So there's a whole lot of it there. And I don't think anyone deserves to be made fun of, to be perfectly honest with you. So like, why are you making fun of, I don't like that shit. That's a, that's one thing that bothers me about photography, honestly, is that that whole looking at people from the outside in and pointing so yeah. much photography is just pointed like, is like, look at this crazy fuck. Right. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Like, yeah. because everyone has a story and you think you start to think that you're better or smarter than someone else. You're in for a surprise. You know, no, I always have mad respect for him for that. And yeah. it's like, yeah, like you said, like everyone's just, 
I was just always thought it was like weird. Like people like clown you for like whatever type of music you like, like whatever. Like if you like some song on the top 10 now, like whatever, if it makes your day better, fucking listen to it. Who gives a shit? If you like some underground band from your town, that's cool too. It's like weird. people get weird judgmental about that stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, at my age, I like to just show off how horrible my taste in music is. I mean, you can see me. Bon Jovi, there you go. Yeah. So, like, I would go to punk shows doing less punks and, you know, it'd be like, whatever. I listen to Skid Row. I don't care. Like, yeah. I I listen to a lot of different stuff, of course. But sure. um, I do like to flaunt the worst stuff in my collection. <laughs> hey, Bon Jovi's a legend. Show him some respect. Yeah. Uh, so with the Juggalos project, is that going to be a film, pro- like documentary film project or stills? Or like, what are you kind of envisioning with that? It's a documentary and it's in the making. So I should probably like Not talk keep, about it, it. Yeah. keep it at that. Yeah. Got it, got it. So, yeah. but, you know, I've been able to to interview Violent Jane Shaggy and they're great. I really like them as people and and um, been working with them for a little while and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. So we're, 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 I wouldn't be talking about it if we weren't as far along as we are. Got it. Um, yeah, but, no, I'm yeah. definitely excited for that one. Yeah. Uh, a few more questions. I'll let you go. Sure. Uh, I saw you got to be a part of uh, the contact high book, oh. uh, an amazing book. I saw the show last uh, fall. I think it was when it was at ICP in New York, like yeah. one of the best photo shows I've ever been to in my life. It was incredible. Yeah. I, I guess I was kind of curious, like, uh, how you kind of got involved with that book, the whole project, and what you kind of thought of it, I guess. Okay, Vicky Toback, who who did did does Contact High, is a visionary. She is an incredible human. Yeah. I adore her, and I am in awe of her skill and talent. So let that be known. But she started the whole project as an Instagram handle. So and it was through Mass Appeal. So Mass Appeal would kind of. I don't know if they still had the magazine because Mass Appeal was resurrected a, a little while ago, but I don't know if they still had the magazine at the time and maybe it was a page in the magazine or maybe just for their Mass Appeal's Instagram. So um, so it would be contact high. It would be like a section of Mass Appeal's online publication or magazine or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was just an Instagram handle. And she contacted me really early on and she wanted to see some of my proof sheets of Solange Knowles and Nicki Minaj. And she wanted a lot of, obviously a lot of women um, female photographers, but also female musicians. And, you know, so I was sending her, you know, via FedEx proof sheets when it was just an Instagram handle. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And all of a sudden it's a book and my images of Nicki Minaj made the cut. I had other images of Jay-Z and Kanye West, but, um, my images of Nicki made the cut. Not only that, they're on the cover. Yeah. And one of the strips on the cover, which is so cool. And I was beyond stoked to have my images in that. And then it just, it was like you blinked and it was an ant show at the Annenberg and we got to go to the premiere and, you know, and see all these photographers. Some of these photographers I would hire for Mass Appeal, right? Um, So it felt like kind of a family. And I was able to meet Jeanette Beckman, one of my heroes, you know, who I'd loved forever, ever um, through Contact High and, you know, reconnect with Sue Kwan and of course Esteban and get to hang out with Esteban more because of Contact High. And I think even like Gordon Parks had a thick picture in the show. Yeah, the, the whole greatest, the greatest day. Yeah, that, the, yeah, the panel, that was like, I saw that and I was like, holy shit. I was like, that was incredible. I, I love that photograph because every time I see it, I'll like, so it, you know, in Annenberg in LA, they had that photograph, like it was like, it felt like it was like an entire block, right? Long yeah. on the side of the building. And I would, I, I love talking to people about that picture because 
and you see in the picture the shadow goes up to people's heads like right here yeah right and it's like as a photographer seeing that just gives me so much stress because you know that five minutes after that picture was taken they wouldn't have been able to take it because the shadow would have been above people's faces yeah. and i found out later on after the fact that apparently everybody was waiting waiting for rakim to show up and that's why oh. it's so late <laughs> but i love telling that to people who don't have a background in photography like see this shadow like photographer he was probably losing his fucking mind yeah. you know because they're waiting for rakim to show up the shadows creeping into people's chins like oh my god we're not going to have this picture right double yeah. xl will you use that shadow in an amazing way they put all the graphics on the shadow and it was just perfect you know in the mm. gatefold they had on the magazine but yeah i remember when that photo was taken i remember you know that's wild no it was an amazing yeah. project though contact high stuff was great you got to be a part of that Oh, so cool. Beyond, uh, like, so thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I saw now you're you're going to school for I think psycho psychological science. I was yeah. kind of curious, like, how do you decide to go for that, and like, what what's kind of your goals with that? I guess. Well, you know, photo led me to documentary, right? Like I said, I'm curious about people, so that being a documentary director, let I can get real nosy and like learn about people's past and get to know about them. Yeah. Well through documentary, I realized like, I, I have a talent for this talking to people and, you know, I, I you know, background and kind of dysfunction and, mm -hmm. you know, and it real, I have a real need in kind of my heart to help for better or for worse, you know, help people. And, um, I would just, I don't know what, where I'm going to end up to be honest with you, but I would love to have a hand in changing things, you know, implementing change in policy. Yep. Um, I'm going to University of California, Irvine. I'm going to Irvine and they have a really strong forensic psychology uh, program and how cool would it be to get embedded in that and be able to help people get, get out of bullshit convictions, okay? Yeah. So what can I do? Because obviously the state of politics right now is a complete and utter disaster and I don't like it. I'm, I'm clearly on the liberal side of, uh, probably very, very liberal side of things. And what can I do to affect change changing stories is or ch telling stories is great it does help people and inspire and all that but can i get any deeper i like grunt work i like grimy work i like getting my feet on the ground so what can i do to really can i change policy can i like really um you know if i'm telling someone's story and they're someone's being abused by their boyfriend for example i, I can share the story right but if i have a degree and i have some sort of um job that I can maybe offer them temporary housing okay yeah. so to me that is a really important evolution in my career and I love it I'm I love school I'm obsessed with it like after years of freelancing and just being like at the whim of god knows what like really being a complete maniac for two yep. decades almost three decades going to school where everything's so regimented is like oh <laughs> you know <laughs> not only is it nice but it's kind of easy like oh <laughs> An art director is not going to come and cancel my job two weeks later. Like it's uh, just, you know. Yeah, so. it is. It is a grind being a, a freelance. Anything. It's like sometimes it's fun, but then other times it's just like you want to bang your head against a wall. It's it's tough. Or you actually do bang your head against <laughs> yeah, the wall. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's crazy. So. Um. Yeah. But. Yeah, Angela, I can't thank you enough. I was really pumped to talk to you. Like I said, I've been following your work for years. Um, but I guess to wrap up, I guess, like, what, what's next for you? Like, what, what's got you excited? Anything else uh, moving forward? I guess we're in a weird time right now. Um, but I guess what's next for you? Man, I have something that's in the works right now. A couple of things that are really cool, but I can't talk about them. All right, so. all right. 
stay tuned. Um, I got the postcard sets available for sale with myself and Esteban. And so I have a Nirvana postcard set too. Yeah. Um, and school starts soon. So there's that. And I did want to ask you because you sent me an email yesterday and you said, you're talking about Max Fish. And you yeah. said, kicked, I want to know how you got kicked out of Max Fish. Oh, me. I was like 20 or 21. I don't even know if I was of age. And me and my friend were this being idiots, like drinking. And I, I was. <laughs> way too drunk and i think i for some reason decided to take one of the pictures off the wall i don't oh, know why <laughs> I, was just, I didn't break it or anything but i was just being a dumb drunk kid and i yeah. took it off the wall and then they I, they were like you gotta get out of here man i was like all right it wasn't anything crazy i don't drink anymore i haven't had any drinks in like seven years but yeah. i was like back when i was like 20 but max fish was uh it was a fun place uh oh yeah it, it's a, I hate to say because it, it sounds so entitled, but you really did have to be there because when I tell people the stories of how drunk and crazy I was there, they're like, you sound, you have a problem. And I was like, yeah, no, I did have a problem, but you have to understand everyone was being like that. <laughs> like, it, it was, was a great crew, like the Razzo brothers, like Tino, the guy who you actually photographed for the cover of Strength uh, Skate yeah. Mag, which was cool. It was just an awesome, it was just like all the skaters and like, I've never seen like a, like Atiba and his brother Akko there. And like yeah. all the people, it was just a cool environment. Yeah, it was. Uh, Uli, the woman that owns Max Fish, is amazing person. She's. I haven't been to the new one because I know they moved because they got they yeah. had to move locations or whatever. But I'll have yeah. to check it out. Yeah. Cool. Well, Angela, I guess if anybody wants to check out your work, where's the best place for them to go? Um, well, my website is angelaboatwright.com. Perfect. And I have an Instagram, which you can find on my website, but it's Angela underscore Boatwright underscore. I haven't Got updated it. that in two months, man. Like it's been like, I'm going to get it up today or tomorrow, I swear. All right. So those two places should be a good start. Perfect. I'll link it. And uh, thanks so much. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Later, Angela. Bye. Bye. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support, you can go to our new Patreon page, patreon.com slash thephotobanter. If you sign up, you'll get access to the podcast two days early. So if you've been enjoying it and would like to support, it'd be much appreciated. It's uh, patreon.com slash thephotobanter. And just have to give a big thank you to our guest, Angela Boatwright, amazing photographer. Like I said, I've been following her work since like, I was back in college. It's really amazing work she does with all her still photography as well as documentary films. Um, just a big passion for everything she does. So can't thank her enough. Definitely go check out Angela's website at AngelaBoatwright.com as well as her Instagram at Angela underscore Boatwright underscore. I'll put the links in the descriptions, but definitely go give her a follow and check out all the cool projects she's working on. And as always, I'll be having a weekly podcast every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, as well as our new YouTube channel at The Photo Banter. So definitely go give it a follow, and thanks so much for listening.